Well, good morning. Great to see you, whether right here in our main venue or joining us now over in the summit. We're just happy to be here together. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors. Go ahead and have a seat. I've got a few things to share with you before we go into our time of teaching. Uh, yesterday was a historic day in the life of our church. Uh, was, yeah. A lot of you were there. Uh, it was our first ever all-serve. We kept it kind of small. We limited it to only 600 people. And, uh, but we wanted to go out in the community and just serve in the name of Jesus. We ended up going out to, you see there at 7.30 in the morning, it's, uh, people are arriving and uh, a couple are even awake. Uh, but uh, we ended up going out to 27 different locations in the four valleys that we served, just hands and feet of Jesus. The pictures here for one of the schools we went to in Simi Valley, uh, which is Catherine Elementary. And uh, some of you probably have students there and, and just doing a lot of work there. We've got some teachers there, some administrators there. And, uh, but we just went out in these 27 locations just to show the love of God in really practical ways. And so our goal is to get out in the community, let our community know we're here, we love them, uh, help shape the way they think of Christians, uh, open their minds up to, to the exploring Jesus in their own life, maybe trying a church uh, or uh, uh, kind of just being open to the claims of Christ. And so this really was a prototype event. Uh, it went really, really well. I'd expect we do it again maybe a couple times a year or maybe even three times a year. And so next time we do it, we'd expand it larger. So if you were saying like bummed out that you weren't, you know, you weren't from the first 600, uh, that I get that. And so we will be, you know, providing more opportunities, more places, but uh, it's just a beautiful start. So thank you to so many of you who are out there uh, helping. Great time. Came back for a barbecue. It was wonderful. So uh, thanks so much for that. Secondly, uh, next weekend is this very special weekend here at Rocky Peak because we're going to be doing baptisms next weekend. If you've never seen one of our baptisms, we bring a, a big pool in. We'll be putting it up right here on the stage. Hopefully it doesn't fall through. Uh, and so if you'll want to be here for the first time. So if you've never been here, it's a normal weekend. We do worship, we do teaching and so on. But at the end, then we do some baptisms. And so if you're a, a follower of Jesus and you haven't yet been baptized, Jesus said this is the first thing to do when you come to Christ. He said, uh, go make disciples of all people, baptizing him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it's the way we show that we're following Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in Jesus, but you haven't been baptized, then you by definition are disobedient. So next weekend, you have a chance to make that right with God and uh, to do what Jesus said. So isn't that awesome? So uh, next weekend, if you'd like to be baptized, hey, on the back of your, uh, in your inside your program is a little connect card. Just write baptism on there if you're interested. Or on the back of your program, there's information on who to contact, depending on age, whatever. And, uh, and then we'll get you that information, and you can kind of uh, listen to it and say, that, hey, that's what I want to do, and that's what I mean. I'm ready to follow Jesus that way. We'd love to have you next weekend. All right, so that's that. Now, last thing is, uh, just before we go, you'll probably notice my voice is a little off. Remember last week I was sick. Uh, Monday got much sicker. Tuesday a little bit better. Wednesday night, thought I was kicking it. Came down with heavy fever and chill, you know, about 102 temperature. And so I didn't know if I'd be here this weekend or not, but uh, I am. But uh, once again, I'm highly doped up. So uh, I, I'm uh, literally, I'm not exaggerating, on two doses of NyQuil and five doses of cough medicine. So uh, if I fall over in the middle, don't be alarmed. Uh, just get me back up and I'll be fine. Uh, 
Uh, but I, the reason I mentioned that is it's our last service. We'll see how much coughing I do. But I don't want it to be a distraction and you wondering, like, is he okay? Is he going to make? No, I'll be fine, right? So uh, I'm really excited about the things that uh, we're going to be studying today. Excited to be here with you. It's such a privilege. It's just like I never take a week for granted. These weeks are just they're a privilege to be together, and uh, I'm excited. So we're going to stand up right now, whether it's here or over in the summit. Stand up, say hi, take your, uh, turn your phones off, I'm ready to go. Hey, well, it is good to be with you today, and we're going to go into our time of teaching. And so if you're brand new, you won't know how this works. Inside your program is the message note sheet. It's white, it's green, uh, pull it out, and that'll help you follow along. And if you guys are all ready to go, uh, I'm set. You guys set? Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we're excited to be here. Uh, I know I, I'm excited. Been studying these things, gone through this message twice. Uh, it, it's something powerful. There's just something powerful here. And I'm looking forward to you showing up as you always do and just unpacking your word and uh, speaking to us. Lord, I know you love us passionately. I know you have a plan for our lives. I know it's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. But in order for that to happen, that we have to open our minds to what your word would say, your spirit has to come and open your, your truth to us. And so today, Lord, as we, we talk about the future, we talk about the resurrection, we talk about open minds, we pray that you would speak in a powerful way. Uh, be with me, help me be clear, help my mind to be fresh. Um, I pray that passion will be there. I pray that as a church, we would gather on just hungry to learn from you and that you would speak and we would obey and our lives will be transformed, and your name will be honored as a result. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're uh, continuing the series that we've been in now for the last couple of months. You see it on the screen, Jesus the Crucified King. And for those of you who are brand new, uh, not only welcome, but I always like at the top just to take a, a minute or two and kind of orient you. Uh, this series is actually the third of a three-part series, a trilogy on the life and teaching of Jesus as told by one of the key leaders, the early movement of Jesus. His name is Mark. He's a close personal friend of the apostle Peter. So he writes an account of the life and teaching of Jesus based on Peter's firsthand experiences. We call it the Gospel of Mark. And in this series, we've watched as it's the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, he's coming into Jerusalem for the last time. Uh, starting in the weekend on Sunday, he's beginning to reveal his true identity as the king of the Jews, as the Messiah, the great king of Israel, in some new and provocative ways. And this is leading into increasing conflict with the religious leaders who see him as a threat to their authority. And so what's happening is every day, uh, he's spending the night out at Bethany, uh, about two miles east of the city. Uh, and then in the morning, he comes into the huge temple complex, about 35 acres, and he's teaching there. Uh, to the, the people, it's early in the week, it's like Tuesday or Wednesday, and what we've watched the last few weeks is what's happening is religious leaders, uh, they're gonna send him teams of people that are bringing uh, carefully crafted questions, picture like a press conference, that uh, they're gonna be lobbing these very difficult questions at him. And these questions are designed to undercut his popularity, growing popularity with the crowds, or to, uh, to cause him to say or do something that would allow them to bring him up on charges with the Roman government. So if you've been here the last few weeks, we've watched those different groups, Herodians, uh, scribes, uh, teachers of the law, Pharisees, have come with different questions trying to trip him up. Well, today we're gonna meet a new group. And it's the first time we've met this group in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, some of you will be familiar with them. In the nation of Israel at the time of Jesus, there was three major denominations, if you will, or sects of Jews. 
And so the, the first one was called the Pharisees, and we, we're familiar with them, right, in this series. The second one we don't see in the Gospels in the New Testament, but they were very influential, and their name was the Essenes, and they, they operated down by the Dead Sea, so you hear the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, the third group is the group we encounter today, and they're known as the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were a wealthy group. They were an aristocratic group. They held great powers, uh, positions of power in the country. They were closely associated with the priesthood and the temple. They ran the temple. So a very powerful group. And theologically and politically, they were both conservatives. And so theologically, the reason they were conservatives was because they only believed the first five books of the Bible. So what are those books? We got what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, those are called the Pentateuch, or the books of uh, Moses, associated with Moses. And so they only believed the first five books of the Bible <coughs> were inspired by God. They didn't believe the prophets or the writings, like Psalms and Proverbs. They didn't believe the writings that were inspired by God. And therefore, it influenced their theology, right? And so they, they uh, and one of the areas where it influenced them is the, the uh, Sadducees did not believe in the teaching about, in, in the doctrine of the resurrection, and so today they're gonna to come to Jesus and they're gonna ask him specifically where he stands about the resurrection. But catch this, their goal is not really to get an answer. It's not like they really wanted to see what he thought. Uh, in their minds, this teaching was a modern idea and it was a, a ridiculous idea. It was an irrational idea. And so their goal is to almost like a, like a college prof who lobs out a very tough question to maybe some of these young freshmen who are Christians in order to humiliate them in class. That was the whole goal, to ask him a question that would make Jesus look ridiculous and cause him to lose his authority. And so before we turn to the passage and look at the question they ask him, we need to understand a little bit of background about the resurrection. So there in your note sheet, there is a, there's a section called the resurrection, what's it mean? And here's what I want you to catch. Even as modern day Christ followers, when we hear the word resurrection, we often think it means the next life. But it doesn't. Resurrection and life after death are two different concepts. And let me kind of explain this. In the ancient world, almost everyone believed in life after death. So for example, you know, you think of the Greeks with the river Styx, you think of a Roman's Elysian fields, you think of Pharaoh, you know, the, uh, the pyramids and putting the Pharaoh on things for the next life. Almost everyone believed that you live after you die. This is life after death. But catch this, in the ancient world, almost no one believed in the resurrection of the body. Okay? So you see that distinction? Life after death just means that you go on as a person after death. Resurrection means you get a new body and you live in a new physical creation and body. And so in the ancient world, uh, pretty much the only ones who believed this were the Jews. And most Jews believed that at the end of time, there would be a resurrection, not in the middle of time like with Jesus, but the end of time, when the kingdom of God came, there would be a resurrection. And at least the righteous would rise and they would receive new bodies. The Sadducees didn't believe that. Even though they're Jews, they, believed that they didn't believe that there would be a resurrection. And so that's some background today on what resurrection means. So resurrection doesn't just mean life after death. It means life after death and then a resurrection at some point in the future where you receive a new body, all right? Now, there in your note sheet, you have this section 
that is called uh, the resurrection, irrational or reality. And let me set this up. Here's, the, here's what's gonna happen today. <coughs> the Sadducees are gonna come to Jesus and they're gonna ask him this question about the resurrection. But to understand the question, you have to understand a little bit of background. In the Old Testament, there was a law that was called the Leveret Law. And it doesn't, not Levites, but Leveret. It comes from a Latin term that we won't get into. But anyway, uh, and, and basically in the ancient world, uh, having sons was extremely important. Not only for the sake of carrying on your family name, like, like I'm the last yearly in our family line, and I have two daughters. <laughs> this bothers me. But this is a topic for another day. Uh, so, so when I, you know, after me, there are no more yearlies, right, in that, in that thing. So, uh, and, and so, but not just for emotional reasons, in the ancient world, property rights were, were translated from father to son. And so um, it was extremely important economically you kept property in the family, otherwise you're gonna be penniless and poor. There's no place to raise your, raise your crops or whatever. And so in the ancient world, they often have these laws called the Leverite laws. And so in Deuteronomy chapter five, uh, God had given Israel through Moses a law. <laughs> and it said, here's how it works. He says, if a man's married, he gets married, but they have no kids. And then the, the husband dies, early age. You know, he dies. They have no kids, no sons to pass things on. He says, and if he has a brother who lives in close proximity, that that brother is supposed to marry the widow. Now, some of you are visualizing this in your own lives. <laughs> You're going, thank God for Jesus. Uh, anyway, um, but that's what's supposed to happen. And then catch this, so he marries the widow, and if, then he has, if they have a son together, guess what? That son is technically a son of the dead husband. And he carries on his name, and he receives his property, Okay? And so, uh, now, you didn't have to do this. In Deuteronomy 25, it says, if you just can't stomach this, uh, it's like you look at her, oh, her, no, God. Uh, that, uh, it's like, I've seen her. Yeah. Uh, that, that you don't have to do this. It's kind of dishonorable, but you can opt out of this thing. All right? So we're not going to get into all the ins and outs of that, but um, you have to understand at least that much to understand the question. So here's what's going to happen. The Sadducees are going to come, and remember, which, which books of the Bible do they honor? Verse 5. They're going to ask him a question based on Deuteronomy 25, and they're going to say, let me give you a case study. Remember, the whole point is to make him look stupid. So if you have your Bibles, <laughs> let's go to uh, chapter 12 of Mark. And we'll pick it up at verse 18. And so... The Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, they come to him with a question. <coughs> Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us, and this is Deuteronomy 25, that if a man's brother dies, he leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. So he's going, now, okay, so that's, that's the, now he says, uh, case study. Once upon a time, there's a family. It's a big family. They've got seven boys, all right? So this is family, seven boys. And he said, okay, so uh, the first one married and he dies and he doesn't leave any children. So this triggers the Leverite law 
of Deuteronomy 25. So then the second one marries the widow, but he also dies leaving no child. Like, bummer, right? And so it was the same with the third. So the third man's not real bright. <laughs> At this point, it's starting to sound like a lifetime movie. <laughs> it's sounding a little suspicious. I'm beginning to wonder, Black Widow. Uh, right. But they hadn't seen Lifetime, so they're fine. Anyway, uh, so verse 22, in fact, none of the seven. So they, she runs through them all. And uh, then she's so depressed, she dies. Okay? So in fact, and so, so a very sad story. You don't tell this one to your kids at bedtime. All right. So verse 22, uh, she, she dies finally. And so at this resurrection, uh, Jesus uh, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And so they, they think they've got it. Like, this is just ridiculous, right? So Jesus, she, okay, she runs through them all. They die, then she dies. Now it's the resurrection. It's the end of time and resurrection. We know you believe in the resurrection, so help us sort this thing out. Uh, she's, she's there, and she's resurrected now. So she's a 10, right? She's amazing. And now you have these seven hunks, like fire, firemen, you know, calendar start guys, you know, they're resurrected over there. And they're like these amazing guys. And they're like, hey, she's mine. No, she's not. I had her first. No, you had her seventh. I had her sixth. You know, so who gets the wife, you know? Because six of these guys are going to go through eternity single, right? So uh, that's the question. And so Jesus jumps in right away and uh, he doesn't really mess around. He just kind of goes for the juggler. And he says, you know what? You guys are all, all wrong. And uh, <laughs> verse 24, <coughs> he says, are you not an heir? So catch that. He just kind of assumes they're an heir. He says, listen, here's the reason you're wrong. He says, because you don't know two things. First of all, you don't know the what? The scriptures. You don't know the Bible. And secondly, you don't know the what? power of God. You don't know God. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the religious elite of the nation. If this was like the Catholic Church, he's talking to the cardinals. Right? He's saying, uh, hey, one small problem, the reason you're wrong, by the way, you are wrong, and the problem, you're, just a couple of small things. You don't know your Bibles, and you don't know God. Other than that, you're good. Right? <laughs> I remember these are guys that probably have memorized the five, first five books of. Right? So, so they're, they're hey, we're, we're like, we got it together. And so now, after he said that, he goes on <laughs> to teach about the resurrection. He says, now, in verse 25, he says, when, when the dead rise, because it is going to happen. Um, they, they neither marry nor given in marriage. They're like the angels in heaven. He says, uh, you're making an assumption here, and it's a wrong assumption. He says, you're assuming that this life is just like the next life. You're assuming that life there is going to go on just like life here. So if you're married here, you'll be married there to the same woman. Okay? Which, you know, some of you, like good news, some bad news. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> Like, yeah, oh, uh, uh. He says, you're wrong. That's not how it works. The next life is different. He says, the next life, we're like angels. Well, what are you talking about? Well, we're immortal. We don't die. 
So in this life, in this life, yeah, you get married, you have kids because you need to propagate the race. In that world, you don't have marriage and have kids to propagate the race. We're eternal, we're, we're now immortal. So, so, so when he says you're like angels, he doesn't mean we're just like angels in every way. We're different creatures and have different tracks. But we're like the angels that we don't die. All right? So he kind of he diffuses that. <laughs> then he goes on. And he says, but let's talk about this whole thing with the dead rising. Remember he just told them you don't know your Bibles, so he's gonna do a little Bible study. And he says, now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses? So he's going back to the five books that they consider authoritative. This is actually a story in Exodus chapter three. He says, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the bush? This is the account of the burning bush. Okay, remember when, G- when, when Moses first meets God? Right? He'd never had an encounter with God before. Remember, at, at the way he's like, take your feet off, it's holy ground, goes over, the bush is burning, it's not burning up. He doesn't know what's going on. It's like, whoa, what's going on? Also, this bush starts talking to you, how weird's that? And so, he says, now, in the, the dead, um, he says, have you read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him? And so remember, so Moses is there, he sees this bush burning, he goes over, and all of a sudden he hears this voice, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. I wear sandals. I'm always prepared. Uh, it's ready for, waiting for that bush. Uh, and so this bush is talking to you. Like, remember, that's all he knows. He, and, and so, okay, so he takes off his shoes. He says, okay, let me introduce myself. My name is not Mr. Bush. Uh, uh, he says, I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jake. What God is doing is identifying himself. You know, you're Jew- these are guys that had all died over 500 years be- before. But there were stories about them in their genealogy and stuff. And so he says, I'm that God. God is introducing himself. I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Jesus says, now notice carefully how God introduces himself. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. Those guys are all dead in God. I'm no longer their God, but I was their God. He says, I am their God, implying they're still alive. And so he says, he says, he is not the God of the dead. You know, God doesn't introduce him, hey, by the way, you know, I was really something back in the day. He said, but he's God of the living. He said, you, you missed that, reading your Bibles, you missed that. And he said, you're badly mistaken. You know, this whole doctrine of the resurrection that you think is a newfangled thing, it's not in the law of Moses, therefore you don't believe it. You know, you don't believe in the prophets, you don't believe in, in the righteous. And you're badly mistaken. Like, like this whole paradigm you have, you're, you're screwed up. This is a big, t- it's a big deal. This, this whole picture you have of life and how life works, badly mistaken, right? Now in the passage, in the time we have, here's what I wanna do. <laughs> First of all, Jesus raises this topic of resurrection. So we wanna take some time to unpack that because uh, as Christ followers, it's one of the most important things for us to understand about following Jesus. 
Uh, secondly, though, um, he also raises this issue of why these men who thought they had it so wired, they thought that they were the religious elite, the spiritual elite, they thought they knew the Bibles, they thought they knew God, they knew neither. And so that can happen to us as modern-day Christ was. We can think we know God, think we know our Bibles, we don't know either. So how do we avoid that mistake? And so what I want to do is start out with a couple principles about the resurrection that Jesus teaches, and then secondly, come back and ask a couple questions about our lives, get real practical on those issues. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section. It's called the resurrection, what to expect. Let's jump in. So two principles I want to highlight today. Uh, First of all, the first thing Jesus wants us to understand is that the resurrection is real. Okay, This concept of resurrection future life, uh, new bodies, it's, it's the real deal. Uh, the question is, uh, the question Jesus is asked is, hey, do you believe in the resurrection? Is the resurrection real? Jesus comes back and says, clearly yes. So what I want you to catch, this becomes cornerstone teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. Catch it, the next life is real. In other words, when you die, you don't exist, exist. that that there is life after death, but more than just life after death, there is embodied life after death. That unlike much of human history and most of what religions have taught, that that you go on, but you don't even know about Jesus, that's wrong, that in the next life, you will receive a new body and you will live in an embodied embodied experience in a real world that's very physical, it's tangible, you can taste it, touch it, smell it, there's a new creation coming, right? So Jesus wants us to be clear and then catches what he says in his teaching is that the way you know this is true, the ultimate proof is his own personal resurrection of his body that's going to take place about five days from this conversation that he's having. And this is what, as Christ followers, we often miss. When we think of the resurrection of Jesus, we often think of it as a one-off. We gather every Easter, we celebrate the resurrection. It's this amazing act of power. It proves he was right and so on. But what we don't understand is that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just an amazing one-off that he just randomly chose to prove that he's who he was. The resurrection of Jesus is the first step of the resurrection of all creation. As he is, so we will be. There's a new world coming. And so the way the New Testament teaches this, in your life group this week, you'll be studying this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses the analogy of a harvest. And he says, Jesus and his new resurrection body, he says, it's the prototype. And the, the analogy he uses, it's the first fruits of the resurrection. In other words, if you, if you have an apricot tree, you, you grow corn in the back of your yard, or herbs, what do you grow? They, when, they, when there's that, f- that first fruit, the apricots come and the oranges come, it's like there's always certain fruit that ripens first. We call it the first fruits. And when you see that first orange, you don't say, wow, an orange, that's awesome, I wish there were more. What you say is, that's awesome, the harvest is almost here. It's the first fruit, it's the first sign of a much larger thing. And so what we see in the Bible is the first, the resurrection of Jesus is the first step of the resurrection and restoration of all creation. That what Adam screwed up, Jesus is gonna fix. 
And so you see this throughout the teaching of Jesus and the New Testament. But there in your notes, I put just one example. It's from John chapter five, where uh, Jesus says, a time is coming when all who are in their graves, catch that, everyone, no exception, everyone who's died, will hear his voice, and in context, it's Jesus' voice. Remember he said, I am the resurrection. The resurrection is not just an event, it's a person. And that person is Jesus. It happens when he says it happens. And he says, they'll come out. Those who have done good will rise to what? To live, and there's life to the full. Those who have done evil will rise to be what? Condemned, all right? So the first thing he wants you to catch is that this resurrection is real. The next life is real, and it's not just an ethereal uh, spiritual existence. It's an embodied physical existence, new heavens, new earth. The proof of that is my body that I'm gonna be raised from the dead. It's the first fruits of a new creation, and therefore the decisions you make here matter there because your decisions here will determine what that next life and embodied existence is like for you. All right, so the resurrection's real. Second principle that Jesus teaches in this passage is that the next life is different. You say different from what? Different from what we tend to expect. Now, for the Sadducees, they're, asking, they're, they're portraying a very common view of the resurrection in their day. <laughs> they're asking this question, so, so when you die, and then you're married, and then you're resurrected, and, and then if you've been married more than once, uh, which wife do you get? Or who gets you? Or whatever. Okay? And, uh, and so Jesus says, hey, it's going to be different. Now, there's a lot about the next life that's going to be very similar. We'll talk about them in a piece, but it's different. And he said, because in the next life, you're not going to get married and have kids. We don't need that in the next life, because we're like angels. And for those who are married, by the way, uh, what, what this means is not that we won't know our spouses, we won't be incredibly close or, uh, uh, you know, uh, to our, our spouse, but in the next slide, uh, the, the Bible kind of paints this picture of incredible intimate relationships like father-son, uh, like the father-son spirit type relationship, but it's not in the form of marriage, right? So, so he says it's different. Sadducees, you're wrong because you're assuming this life is just like the next life, the next life's like this life, and that's a wrong assumption. It's going to be different. But here's what I want you to catch for us today. I believe for us as modern-day Christ followers that often the next life is going to be very different than what we think, too. That many times, like the Sadducees, that our picture or view of the next life is more influenced by things like Greek mythology that has come to us via our Western culture. It's more influenced by Renaissance paintings. It's more influenced by modern day books, uh, movies, and TV shows. You know, Touched by an Angel. Uh, uh, it's, it's influenced by uh, teaching from the Bible where we've taken extremely highly symbolic passages and, and interpreted them in extremely literal ways. Like, like, for example, in the book of Revelation, if I talk to you about a beast that comes out of the sea, 
we know that it's not really talking about a beast coming out of the sea. It's talking about a world leader, that power. So when we read that, we, we don't, you know, when we, when we read about the lamb on the throne that's slain, we know it's not really, when we get there, there's going to be a throne with a, a dead-looking lamb. We, we understand there's symbolism here. You're trying to describe incredibly profound things with very picturesque images. But somehow when we get to chapter one, uh, 21 of, of uh, Re- Revelation, it's talking about streets paved with gold, we think that's literal. It's like the whole book's symbolic, right? And so we're thinking like, I don't even know if I like streets of gold. I mean, think of the, you have to have sunglasses the whole time. How hard is on your feet is that, right? It's like, I guess it's good, no potholes, but hey, you know, uh, right? And so we have these crazy images. And so as, even as Christ followers today, if I were to ask you to close your mind and say, you, okay, describe the next life or describe heaven, you know what for most of us starts to happen is this weird filter comes over, like a, a filter, like a camera filter comes over, and everything gets hazy. <laughs> and things start moving slowly, right? We start seeing clouds, little chubby guys with wings, right? And harps. And then we see this image of this throne and just like billions of people around the throne, an eternal worship service. It just never ends. It goes on forever and ever. And we just sing one more time, one more time. Oh, but we love it. We love it. This is awesome. This is better than anything on earth. You know? And so the reality is, is that what's happened is we've not taken our images from the Bible. We've taken them from other places. And this creates a less than compelling future. And so as Christ followers, it's hard to get excited. I would take a day surfing or half dome over that any day. Right? And so, so what happens is like the Sadducees, we need to come back to the Bible and say, what's it really say? And when you come back to the Bible, not everything is clear, but here's what. The best evidence of the next life we have is the body of Jesus after the resurrection. And this is what you'll be studying in your life group this week. Then you see his body, you'll see there's certain things that are similar to now and there's certain things that are different. Like, you know, like these very similar, like when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, the guys don't look at him and go, wow, that guy looks different. They just think he's a dude, just think he's a guy, right? And they start talking with him, just think he's a normal guy. And he's walking with them and they're having dinner together. Later on, he'll bake breakfast on the, uh, have to do a barbecue on the beach for his men, uh, you know, as they're out fishing. Uh, they're gonna be eating and drinking and having conversations and walking and talking and hug him, you touch him. It's, it feels very familiar, very, very similar. But on the other hand, it's very different. He's got these new amazing abilities. Things like he can just kind of beam himself around. Like, that's awesome. Very Star Trekian. You know, it's just like he just shows up behind locked doors. Like, that's cool. And, and when it comes time for him to leave planet Earth, he just goes, okay, guys, well, this is where, this is where I leave. All right, see you. It's <laughs> so crazy. And the angels are like, the angels coming up, hey, what are you guys looking at? Uh... We're looking at a guy's flag. You know, we've never seen that before. Uh, 
And so what you see is it's, there's similarities, there's differences. Of course, the biggest difference is that the next life is a place where all wrongs are turned to right. And so, so in Jesus, who's been beaten to a, a bloody pulp a couple days before on Friday afternoon, intestines hanging out, rib cage exposed, head halfway torn off from the thorns, bloody nails through his hands and feet. Like when he shows up two days later, you can see it's the same guy. And yet he's different. In fact, if you study the post-resurrection accounts, most of them say they didn't really recognize him at first. These are the people who knew him best. But there was some, he was the same and yet different. And one of those differences, he was healed. He was in his new 2.0 version, right? And he was thriving. And think about that. I mean, nails to your feet two days before, like if I got a hangnail, I can't walk. <laughs> He's like seven miles to Emmaus, no problem, you know? Uh, and, and so there's, there's these new capacities, new abilities. And so Jesus' body becomes the prototype for a whole new creation that's gonna be similar. The Bible calls it new heavens and a new what? Earth. earth. We often picture this like we're gonna be in heaven forever. The Bible says new heavens and new earth. And theologians will disagree. Some theologians believe, based on biblical evidence, that this whole cosmos will be completely destroyed and that a new one will be remade. Others believe, I tend to be on this side, that the, this, this, this broken world is gonna be resurrected like our bodies and healed. Like Romans 8, creation groans, longing for its day where it will be released from its slavery to freedom, Right? And so, so, hey, what's this mean? It means you take the most incredible experience of planet Earth. What's your favorite? Climbing Half Dome? Is it the Swiss Alps? Is it going to Tahiti? Like, what's your dream vacation? Well, let me just tell you something. If you don't get it here, you're gonna get it there, and it's gonna be like a million times better, right? And so, in fact, uh, it's often describing the next life. You get the feeling the Bible is using highly symbolic language because it's very difficult to describe the next life to people who have not experienced it. Like, have you ever tried to explain a, like a sunset to someone who's blind and never seen? Have you ever tried to imagine explaining an orchestra or your favorite band to a person who's never heard? Try to explain this. Imagine your six-year-old daughter comes up and she asks you, Daddy, where do babies come from? <laughs> right? And you're not really thinking, so you decide, you know, well, I'll just tell her. Like, how's that conversation gonna go? She's gonna be going like, gross. Yeah. Right? And you're gonna be going, yes, it is. <laughs> and I want you to remember that until you're 35. <laughs> Why? Because she has no, she doesn't have, as a six-year-old, she has no, her sexuality's not kicked in until her sexuality's kicked in. Now, at about age 13, I was like, oh, boy, you know? And it's like, you're like, no, no, remember, it's gross. Uh, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying here? Is that the, often the Bible's trying to describe the indescribable, not because it's like spiritual and so ethereal, it's just so mind-blowing. In fact, there in your note sheet, I put this verse, here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 2. He's quoting from Isaiah 64, that section where the new heavens and new earth, that whole area of scripture. 
<laughs> he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. In other words, imagine what God has prepared for those who love him, right? So, so Jesus says, hey, next life is real, resurrection, Neil, it's embodied existence, it's new heavens, it's new earth, it's physical, it's real, it's tangible, and, and he says, uh, but it's gonna be different in some ways than you think, and so as Christ says, we always come back and say, is my vision of the next life informed by scripture or by culture or what am I taught or tradition? Now, this leads us to a couple questions, and there in your note sheet, <laughs> you have a section it's called the resurrection two quick uh, questions. And so everything I've said today is really preparing the ground for where we're going now. And so, so now we're gonna roll up the sleeves, right? So, so number one, uh, the first question that, that I have for you today, based on what we've, we've studied, and one of these questions is gonna flow out of resurrection teaching. The other one's gonna flow more out of the Sadducees methodology, right? Like, like how is it there's such brilliant, uh, well-educated, uh, religious leaders and yet don't know God and don't know scripture? How does it happen? And so one of these questions is with the resurrection. I want to deal more with that. But the first question goes like this. How real is the resurrection? How real is the resurrection? Now what I'm asking is, how real is it to you? Today we've seen that Jesus says the resurrection is real. The new world coming, it's physical, tangible, it's amazing. The question is, do you believe him? Now before you say, of course, what I'm really asking is no, I'm not asking like theologically do you believe that? Like the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I'm not saying box yes or no, you check yes or no. I'm not, do you believe it that sense? I think most of us Christ, well, yes, we believe. Okay, but what I'm asking is how real is the next life and the resurrection to you? Like, here's what I'm asking. Like, is, it, is the next life real to you in the same way that to a high schooler who's got their heads screwed on straight, college or trade school is, rule, is real? You see what I'm saying? Like if, I, if, if there's a high schooler here who's got their head screwed on straight and they're a junior in high school and you ask them, do you believe in college? Yes. So what are you going to prepare? Well, I, I, I'm working really hard. I, I'm working on my grades. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm preparing for my SATs. I'm, uh, uh, I'm kind of doing a lot of extracurricular things and all because I want to get in the best schools. And, and so I'm, I'm working. So... So that student believes that college is real. And therefore, they're ordering their life here because they know graduation's coming. I'm asking you, do you believe the resurrection is real? And if so, are you ordering your life here in order to be prepared for there? Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. Like he looks at us, like for Jesus, the next life is so obviously real. For the next life, Jesus is like college after high school. And so he's constantly teaching us, hey, here's how to prepare for graduation, right? And so for Jesus, he's constantly saying, you need to be living this life for the next life. Like anyone who's not living this life for the next life in Jesus' mind is a fool. 
They're, they're like, we've probably all known high school students. You may have some of like this. We've probably all known high school students. They're a junior and they're spending all their time playing video games and they're flunking out all their classes. And when you ask them, what are you gonna do when you graduate? They go, I don't know. And, and say, hey, well, let's think about this, Junior. And you try to sit down and you talk to him, right? And you say, hey, look at this. Uh, in two years, you're going to be graduated. And, and you need to have a plan. And two years isn't that far. It's like two NFL seasons. <laughs> Whoa, really? That's only too bad. Uh, yeah, it's only too bad. And so, so you need to have a plan because we're not going to be one of those families where you're living off of mom and dad until you're 28. Right? So, so you need to come up with a plan, right? And they're like, eh, okay, yeah, whatever. Like we look at a kid like that and go, he's a moron, <laughs> right? Anyone want to sign up? Yeah, I want a kid like that. Give me five of them, <laughs> right? Because he's just being very foolish, right? He doesn't see how life works. He's just living in the present as if he's always going to be 15, hanging out with his friends, Playing video games. He really thinks that. And you look at him and you're like, man, that is sad. Because that day is coming and it's only two years. And when you get there, life is going to get hard fast. Right? And so you look at me and you say, well, catch this, men and women. Jesus looks at all of us like we're in high school. And he says, hey, college is coming. Trade school is coming. You need to start getting ready. And one of the things I often talk about here at Rocky Peak is that it's impossible to understand the teaching of Jesus apart from the reality of the next life. Like he always speaks from that. It's just reality. Just like a parent always speaks from the reality of what's after high school. You cannot not, everything you say as a parent comes from that perspective because it's so real to you. Like you never forget like, oh yeah, you're gonna be graduating. And so in Jesus' teaching, he's always speaking to us as high schoolers. And so, for example, let me just give you one example. In Luke chapter 12, one of my favorite examples, uh, Jesus tells a story. Once upon a time, there was a man who was a very successful businessman. He says he's a, he's, he's a farmer. He's having year after year of bumper crops. And he says, you know what? I've got so much stuff, I don't know what to do with it all. So he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down these barns I have, and I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm just going to stuff them full. I've got so much stuff. He says, and then I'm just going to kick back and retire and enjoy the good life. Now, to a lot of us, we go, well, what's wrong with that? Isn't that the American dream? You just work hard. You climb the ladder. You make tons of money. You retire early. Perfect. And Jesus says, no, it might be American dream. It's not God's dream. He says, God's dream is that you'll be transformed in a new kind of person. You love God, you love people. And so if God blesses you, you use that to advance his kingdom and to love the poor and to make the world a better place. And so here's what Jesus says to that person. Now this, this man in this story has a high school mentality. He thinks life is always gonna go on. It's always gonna be high school. And look what he says there, <laughs> Luke chapter 12. He says, so this is what God's going to say to this man. He says, you what? Fool. Fool. See, I'm not making this up. I use, you know, in Greek, it's moron. <laughs> it is. <laughs> not seriously, it is. Uh, he says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. I know you're 48 years old. You think it's great, but 
you're having a heart attack tonight. And uh, your, time, your time's up. Says, uh, it's graduation day. Uh, you graduated. High school's gone. And he says, uh, then you'll get what you, then who will get what you prepared for yourself? All this stuff. He says, this is how we'll be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. What did Jesus say? He said, in the area of finances, he said, don't store up things on, on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break and steal, but store up things in heaven. In other words, live this life for the next life. And so this is constantly the teaching of Jesus. You cannot even read very far at all before he talks about this. Think with me in the Sermon on the Mount. If your right hand offends you, do what? Cut it off. What's he saying? He's saying if there's anything in your life, even if it's a great thing like your right hand, if there's anything in your life that keeps you from pursuing God and God's will for your life, get rid of it. He said, because this life is short, next life is long. He says, it would be better to go into the next life maimed, amputee, than to go into the next life with all your body, but go to hell, right? So constantly in his teaching, this life is short, next life is long, only a fool lives this life for this life. Live this life for the next life. You're in high school, prepare for college. And so Jesus goes on in all of his teaching. He's constantly saying this. So he'll say things like he'll tell parables, like the parable of the talents. He'll tell parables like the parables of the sheep and the goats. He's constantly bringing us in this reality. You're in high school. College is coming. Live this life for the next life. And so the question is, for you, uh, are you living this life for the next life? And is there evidence of that? If I just look at your calendar, your checkbook, your decisions, your priorities, your Facebook, your Twitter account, like, is, is it evident that you're living this life for the next life, that you get this, so you get, we're in high school, I'm preparing for college. Is there a focus there? Is there a drive there? Is there an intentionality there? Are you living your life on purpose or by default? And see, the example that Jesus gave here is the example of finances, this man using his money, but, but he gives all kinds of examples. Our sexuality, our moral purity, our forgiveness, bitterness, bitterness issues, other priority, using your spiritual gifts, loving the poor. He gives example after example what it looks like to live this life for the next life. And sometimes, men and women, we are just blind to this. Like, let me give you an example of an area we're blind. Do you realize, as parents, our most important calling is to help our kids grow up and pursue God with a full heart. Do you realize that, as parents, our highest calling is to help our kids pursue God and love God and live this life for the next life? And yet all the time I'll see people, I think well-meaning, parents well-meaning, who will make the decision. I'll say, why isn't your kid in uh, youth group on Wednesday night? And they will say, oh, there's just so much going on. We've got, you know, it's chess club, or we got ballet, or we got football practice, or we got this. There's just not a time. We got tests the next day. We can, there's just too much other stuff. And what you're really telling me is it's a higher priority in your life that your kid gets an athletic scholarship that he loves Jesus and walks with Jesus. And then when we gotta wake up, 
You wonder why a 20-year-old kid uh, who's gone all the way through church gets up and then they go to college and they just kind of get away from it. I'm telling you, you've taught them that their whole life. You've taught them their whole life. Yes, we follow Jesus and Jesus is important, but if it's between Jesus and club, if it's between Jesus and travel team, if it's between Jesus and sports, if it's between Jesus and ballet, we choose something else. And you've taught them their whole life. And you'll stand there on the sidelines uh, week after week and spend hour after hour coaching your kid, supporting your kid, traveling with your kid. And then when your kid says, could you take me to church on Wednesday night? So I'm a little busy. So are you serious? Men and women, we need to wake up. This is not a game here. Our kids are the world to us, Amen. And the most important thing about your kid is that they love Jesus and they're living for the next life and so are you modeling that? And it's just one example. Just one example. Man, we, we gotta wake up. This next life is real. Graduation is coming. It is more real than this life. And when your time comes and your number gets punched, you're gonna either hear, well done, or you fool. And it doesn't necessarily matter how much you've been to church. That's not what it's about. You've been to church your whole life and still you're a fool. And you say, you don't believe me? The Sadducees ran the temple. All right, next question. Uh, it's the drugs. It's the drugs. All right. Uh, <laughs> just lose inhibitions. There's so much alcohol in that stuff. <laughs> Second question is, um, are you open to new ideas? Now, this is a totally different shift here. We're moving away from resurrection. I want to go <laughs> to the issue behind the issue. The issue was, Jesus, what do you believe about the resurre uh, resurrection? We get some great teaching. But what's most fascinating to me in this passage is not the answer about the resurrection, but he said the reason why they got off track. Because remember, he says, are you not in error? He says, because you don't know two things. He says, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. So to the religious leaders of the nation, know the Bible like the back of their hand. He says, you don't know your Bibles and you don't know God. Other than that, you got it right. Wow. You say, how's that possible? Here's the tragedy. They saw themselves as like this with God. We're the leaders. They saw themselves as we, are, we have, all have doctoral degrees in the Bible. And, the, and, the, and here's the tragedy, is that when Jesus himself came to correct some of their theology, they were not open. They thought they had it so wired. And you know, this can happen in our lives. Oh, I've been a Christian for 10 years. I've been a Christian for 20 years. And this is what I've always taught. It's what I've always believed. It's what... I've always <laughs> heard, that's what the Bible says. And, and, and we have these opinions. Maybe it's about parenting. Maybe it's about marriage. Maybe it's about sexuality. Maybe it's about uh, uh, giving. 
Maybe it's about bitterness. Maybe it's about the second coming of Jesus. Maybe it's about spiritual gifts, which ones exist, which ones don't. And we have this mind made up that we know the answer. That we, we're a Christian a long time. We got it all set. And here's what happens. Jesus walks through our life. And he brings some new teaching. The catch is, it's biblical teaching. Just like he took it back to the Bible. And check this, it comes from an incredible source. Someone who loves God, loves people, life of character, well studied, and God brings some new teaching in. And like the Sadducees, we just go, no, 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 no. And we shut it down. And when we do this, we cut it off ourselves off from growth. Because the Pharisees were way off base, and Jesus came to correct them, and they could have moved into a whole different future. Now, let me be clear here. When I talk about new teaching, I'm not talking about the latest thing from the internet. I'm not talking about the new bestseller on the New York Times. I'm not coming to the, the latest, you know, new age thing. I'm talking about biblical teaching. See, as Christ follows for us, the word of God is the ultimate authority. Amen? Right, and so, it, so the word is never wrong but our interpretations often are. And we mistake our interpretations for the word. And so unless we're open that, hey, we might be wrong on a few things, that we're never gonna get it right. There's a great passage there in your note sheet. Well, actually, it's not on your, well, it's on your note sheet, yeah, Romans 12. The apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 12, and he says, do not conform any longer. He's writing to some new Christ followers. <laughs> he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, stop thinking like the world around you. But be what? Transformed. In the Greek, the word is metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis from. So it's a process of change. Tadpole becomes a frog. Uh, a worm becomes a butterfly. <laughs> Caterpillar, thank you. Uh, like, Come on, Mike, five more minutes. Uh, yeah, it's like, what is that? What is that, what is that word? I can't even hear. I can see it there. Uh, yeah, caterpillar becomes a butterfly, right? And so that's metamorphosis, change. And so Paul says, hey, you've come to Jesus now. You're, you're Christ followers, but you need to be transformed. You need to be metamorphosed. You need to be, go through a change process to become like him. And he says, uh, and then you'll, be, uh, then you'll be able to test and approve, I like the word experience, demonstrate, uh, what God's will is, uh, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so Paul says, hey, you've come to Jesus, you need to go through a transformation process, God's got a will for your lives, it's good, it's pleasing, and it's what? Perfect. He says, but to experience that will, you have to be transformed, and that happens by a renewing of your mind. You've got to change the way you think. So you used to think this way, you've got to think that way. And so what I'm saying here is that we come to Jesus, we love Jesus, we love his word, and we've been taught certain ways or believe certain things, or we picked up from our parents or our tradition or whatever, and we're, man, we're just, we hold on to this. We're like, this is the truth, right? And Jesus comes into our life and he brings some new teaching or a new teacher or some new spiritual experiences or new life experiences that cause us to, that they're intended to cause us to go back and say, all right, well, did I have it right? But instead, so often we're like, no, 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 no. That's wrong. 
I know. I know. I, I know about the second coming. I know this is right. I know this is about healing. Or I know this is about tongues. Or I know this is about uh, women in ministry. I, I know this. I just know these things. And this is what I've always been taught. And we're not willing to do what Jesus was asking the Sadducees to do. I know you've been taught, but can we go back and do a Bible study? I love this story in Acts chapter 17, and you'll read it this week in your life group, where the apostle Paul comes to the city of Thessalonica. He brings a message of Jesus for the first time. And his claim is that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's going back to scripture to try to prove that to the Jews. And they just were not open. It's not like, no, messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't die, we don't buy it. They were not open, right? And it was a hard concept, we get that. So he goes on to the next village, the next town of Berea. And, and here's what it says, the Berean Jews, this is the Bereans, were more noble than the Thessalonians. Because, catch this, they searched the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. See, that's the people we want to be. And so when God brings a new thought, a new, te- a new interpretation, it's like, hey, well, let's go back to Scripture. Does it come from a credible source? Someone's walking with Jesus, living their life, loves God's word, reputable source, and then let's go back and let's look at Scripture and let's say, what does it really say? Because here's the thing. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you what? And so when we resist Jesus bringing new teaching in our life, we remain like the Sadducees, stuck in air. And we never experience the freedom that he came to give us. We never are transformed. We never move from caterpillar to butterfly. And so we're just kind of crawling along when we're meant to fly. And so so we open. And so, like, let me give you an example. Last week, I talked about our relationship as Christ followers to politics. And so what I basically said is, according to the Bible, that we have a primary authority and secondary authority. I said, God is our primary authority. The governments are secondary. God asks us to honor. And so as Christ followers, we should love our government or love our country. We should be patriotic. We should be supportive, great citizens, right? But I also said, (laughs) but there are limits, there are limits. And so if our party comes to a place where they're asking us or, or holding on to a position that's different where Jesus stands, we need to stand with Jesus, not our party, right? Now, for many of you, I'd say most of you, you found that a very refreshing that someone finally said that. Like, yes, that's always seemed wrong. That, that, this seems right, okay? And, and so, but for some of you, that was challenging, And the reason it was challenging is you've grown up with an American flag on one part of the pulpit, of the stage, and the Christian flag on the other. And the message is these two stand together. And so you've grown up that to be patriotic and love your country and to love Jesus and your party are the same thing. And so this was hard for you. And I get that. The question is, is when new teaching comes, what do you do? Do you say, that's hard for me, and so I'm gonna go back to the scripture and see what scripture says, and to pray about this because maybe I've been wrong. Or do you say, I cannot believe what Mike was saying, what an off day. <laughs> and you go on holding on to what you believe. 
Now the question here is not whether I'm right or wrong. Because the issue isn't whether I'm right or wrong, the issue is what does scripture say? The, quest, the question is one of methodology. When you hear someone, a credible source, teaching something that's different than you thought that comes from the word of God, is your instinct immediately to throw up the guards and say, no, that's not what I believe, that's wrong, I've never believed that. Or is your instinct to say, you know, that's hard, but I need to be open. Because God may be in that, I just want to be open. If we're not an open people, we will never be a growing people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. (coughs) God, we're just so thankful uh, to be here. And uh, while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I want to give you a chance just to process what we've been talking about. We're going to be going into a final number here that's called I Surrender. And I would guess that today, as we've talked about these two issues, living this life for the next life, and as we've talked about <coughs> living life with an open mind to, to Jesus to change our thoughts, <coughs> my guess is, is that for many of us here, there's been something the Holy Spirit's brought to your mind. There's been an area, a priority, a sin, a habit, a ministry, a financial issue, a relational issue. There's something that he's saying, you know what, this is the area for you. You need to live this life for the next life. And there's something, like you're not trying to do it, it's the Holy Spirit's showing you. Here's the next step to your freedom. For some of you here that, that you may be feeling like, wow, this teaching in the second point is dangerously close to me. I'm just so dogmatic, I'm so... You know, I just, I get so angry about issues. I can't discuss them without, you know, just getting so angry. And, 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 and it's just like a lack of openness. And you're sensing it there. Man, I, I want to remind you, Jesus, after the resurrection, it says he went back with his disciples. He did a Bible study and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And wow, just think of how much he loves you and the freedom that he has for you in some of these areas that you're just so resistant to that you just, need to, you just need to repent and you just need to ask, you need to say, God, I want to be a Berean. I want to be noble, open to things that are new to me as long as they're coming from your word. And so in this moment, I want to give you a chance as we, we go into worship, just to, to surrender and to just, just say yes to Jesus. And if there's decisions that need to be made to make those decisions, if there's prayers that need to be prayed, wisdom need to be asked for, just have this time. And so, Lord, we pray now as we come and worship that this will be a holy moment. Speak to us. Convict us. Teach us. Lead us. Encourage. Challenge. Strengthen. Inform. As we bring you our offerings, God, use these gifts to create a place here that just the message of the next life rings out loud and clear. And many are brought to faith as a result. Lord, we come to you now as your church to surrender. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with me? Lord I, Lord, I know that all over this auditorium, I would guess that there are many prayers being prayed during that song, saying, yes, Lord, I want to surrender. I want to live this life for the next life. I don't want to stay in high school forever. I don't want to live as if high school is going on forever. I want to be preparing for that future. And I'm sure there are many in this room, Lord, that are just, is saying, Lord, I think that that's been me. I've been a little rigid. 
I've been a little rigid to new thoughts and new ideas. I haven't changed something I believe for 20 years. And, and God, I need to. I need to be open. And Lord, I just pray that you hear those prayers. I know you will. I know, Lord, that when we're honest, we have honest conversation, that you never forget that day. Long after we forgot that day, long after we've forgotten this service, that you have recorded this day in heaven, that you'll never forget this prayer of our heart today, that you would lead us and teach us how to surrender, that, that you would ask us to help us to have an open mind to new things the Spirit wants to teach us that may be different or new than what we've believed in the past. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you remember even when we forget and that you work even when we forget because you listen and you respond to your children when there's an honest conversation. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray as a church. Lord, I pray that we'd be a church that, that we are loving high school, but we are no question about it. We are preparing for college. And, and we are living focused lives. And we are excited about our future. And that we're sharing that future with others. And we're inviting them to join us in the journey. That they would be ready for their future. Because one day they're going to rise from the grave. And they're either going to rise to life at the full or they're going to rise to condemnation. And so that we would bring others with us. And Lord, so we pray for a spirit of wisdom to pour out in our church. We pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. That we would know the future, the inheritance that you have saved up for us as saints. And that we live this day for the next day. And that part of that would be open to the leading of your spirit that we would not quench the leading of your spirit, that we would test all things, we would hold on to what's good, we would get rid of what's evil, and that we would grow and be transformed like the caterpillars and the butterflies, that we would leave our earthbound existence and rise with you, with Jesus, to a whole new life. And so that's our prayer and that's our desire. We ask you to record our purse today on earth and may it be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Hey, well, uh, so good to be with you today here. And for those of you uh, over in the summit, so great to have us all together. I want to remind you as we go, a couple things. First of all, as we leave, we always have a ministry called our Prayer Connection, our Prayer Corner. It's right down here to my right, whether it's here or in the summit, right to my right. And uh, there's some people there who love to pray with you about whatever you have. Sometimes I mention it, sometimes I don't, but it's always there. And then secondly, next week, very special week. We come, if you could only give me five passages of the New Testament, this would be one of them. Uh, we come to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the most profound teaching of Jesus uh, in all the Bible. And so we're going to be unpacking that together. And then we're going to be uh, doing some baptisms with people that say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Uh, I want to live out that passage in my life. And so uh, if you want to get baptized, great. Uh, if you're inviting your friends, great. I encourage you to get here early so you can get good seats. Uh, and we're going to have a great time. Until then, may the Lord of the resurrection be with you. May the God who said, I am the resurrection and the life, may he live in you this week. May you experience the life-changing energy and power and presence of Jesus. May you be transformed. May this be a week of moving one step closer from caterpillar to butterfly. May this be a week you rise with him to live a new life 
with your eyes clear on graduation day. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.